everyone, and welcome to Word After Word, a podcast on writing. I'm Paul Matthew Carr, and with me as always, David Hicks. Paul, how are you? I am good, David. How are you doing? Good to see you. You can't see me. (laughs) (laughs) There are quotes in my voice. Okay. (laughs) Uh, No, we are in separate rooms across town from one another. It's better that way for the relationship. (laughs) We need some space. (laughs) Okay. Um, Today on the program, in keeping with our ever-widening and diversification of subject matter, we'll be doing a craft lesson. Just a bit of advice to help you kickstart a story or tweak a current one. At least that's the idea. David, would you like to start? Yes, I would, Paul. I am going to give our listeners uh, my go-to surefire, it's a winner every time, writing prompt. You should sell that better. (laughs) As many as 12 that I know of, people have published something based on this prompt, like not just written something new, but actually gotten it published, either an essay or a story or in one case, a full-length novel that started with this prompt. Wow, that's that's. Are you that's ready? Amazing. Yes. <laughs> I feel as if I must have stolen this from someone, but I can't remember when or who and how. So it's not mine, but it's kind of an amalgamation of different prompts or experiences that I've I've made into my own, and I give workshops on this, and it works really well. Excellent. So uh, in 1999, I was in. Patagonia with my girlfriend at the time. And uh, it was a very strange place and a very strange time for me because I was uh, very sad and I, I kind of didn't want to be there. But on the other hand, it was this beautiful place and it was paid for and it was sort of lonely, kind of Wyoming at the bottom of the world with glaciers and desert, kind of w- lots of high wind. And it was just a bizarre place. I found myself at a ranch, uh, an estancia owned by a guy named Dario. And there were no vegetables as far as I could tell in in Patagonia, but there were sheep. This guy had a sheep ranch and he would, every night that we were there, he would have an asado, uh, a a barbecue, uh, where where he would kill a sheep, crucify it. uh, Well, sorry. Crucify it? Sorry. (laughs) He would kill a sheep. He would hang it so the pumas didn't get it skin it, etc. We didn't see this part. And then would, if, if you can imagine a sheep being crucified over an open flame, that's what an asado is. It's a, it's a sheep kind of nailed to a cross. I'm sorry, I'm doing a bad job. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. But if you have, Please delete all of this. If, if, you have, if you have another helping, is that a second coming? Oh! <laughs> nice. Anyway, we've offended a few people. Uh, sure, why not? And Christians. So uh, we would go up to the you or the ram or the lamb and carve a piece of meat for ourselves. And that was our dinner. And at the end of that, Dario would sort of sit back and pat his belly and he would say, undia, and then he would tell a story. Or he would say, you know, hace mucho tiempo or cuando era joven or something like that, like a long time ago or when I was this age or that age. And we were living here, or we were living, or my grandfather was living there. And then he would say, he would t- he would sort of s- explain that, and then he would say undia, one day, and then tell his story. And I didn't know Spanish very well; I still don't. But 
I fell under the trance of his voice and this kind of very familiar storytelling structure that we all have embedded in us from when we were children. And that is the, you know, Star Wars a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, the once upon a time format, and then the, and then one day follow up. And the then one day launches the story. So I would encourage our listeners to think of their favorite book or movie and put it into this frame because you can. It's, you know, once upon a time, there was a a teenager named Luke Skywalker. He lived on the planet Tatooine where his aunt and uncle were moisture farmers and he was restless and wanted to do something with his life, blah, blah, blah. And then one day the empire came, uh, a droid landed on it, right? Droid landed on the planet. You know the story better than I do. The Empire blew up the house and, you know, and that's the story. From that point on, that's a really long story. You could do that as much as you want because you have the once upon a time, you have the character, you have the setting, um, and then we have the one day this happened and then it's a matter of plot. Uh, And then this happened and then this happened and then he did this and then his friends did that and then Darth Vader did that, et cetera, et cetera. So... I, I mean, I haven't read the Harry Potter books, sorry, but once upon a time, there's a kid named Harry Potter in this place in England, I can't remember. And then one day, there's a letter arrives by mail, that kind of formula. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. It's classic uh, fairy tale storytelling, basically. Exactly. So when we become writers, quite often, we, we don't realize how simple that structure is and how relevant and meaningful it is and how it taps into the reader's expectations and desires and we're very comfortable with it. When we go see a movie, we usually start, there's usually one character, we usually get setting, and the character is doing something. It doesn't really matter what they're doing, it just characterizes them. And then one day, this person came over, or this person died, or this, he met this person, or she met this person. And then we're off, we're, we have a movie, we have a story. So instead of complicating our writing, which a lot of beginning writers do, kind of trying to do everything into their first work or into their first story, I encourage them to simplify it and tap into this formula. And uh, instead of at first trying to make up new worlds and people that are different from them and that kind of thing, I encourage them to write about themselves, write about something that happened to them, their own once upon a time, their own, and then one day. And it could be a very small, intimate story about one day when something happened in their family or, or among their friends. It could be a big story in their lives. My, my go-to is because the big change in my life happened when I was five, when uh, my sister died. And there is a once upon a time in my family when everybody's pretty happy. And I, I, have, I have these a few memories of my parents being really happy and goofing around and, and my mother who's Italian singing and dancing. And then I have this distinct memory of, as you can imagine, the afterwards where everybody was just in their own world, very, very quiet. And I was sort of tiptoeing around the house, trying not to bother anybody. So my whole household changed. It doesn't even have to be that something that dramatic. It could really be just as simple as the day I went to school and Dave McMillan broke my, my glasses, you know, or something like that. Just a, some simple change in our lives because what stories are, for the most part, are examples of changes or, or descriptions of a change in a character's life, just a shift up or down. On that day, the, my life was going this way, and then X happened, 
and it it sank or it rose, you know, it, it changed for better or worse. So the writing prompt is to pick a year or pick an age in your life or pick an incident, an obvious incident when something changed. But the reason why I said it, you can just pick an age because if you just pick like 14 or 26 or something like that, you're going to find that there's something in that year probably when something shifted, right? It might not be the most dramatic thing in your, in your life, but in other words, we don't have just one of these events in our lives, usually. Typically, we have several, if not many. And those small ones make for very good short stories or essays because you're forced to look intimately at that one event and look very closely at it. And then, so that means the writing becomes close and the writing becomes intimate and your writing gets better because you're not trying to do too much. You're just writing about this one event. Most people, when they write memoirs, or they write novels, they try to write too much, especially with memoir. You try to write like your whole life. Really, the best memoirs are about this one period in this writer's life or this one person, this relationship that they have. So it's better to go very close and intimate instead of trying to go big and trying to get everything in. On the other hand, it could also be a bigger story about a bigger incident, like the most obvious incident when someone died or someone got a divorce or someone, something happened that is pretty obviously a life-changing event. So in other words, like a war or a coup, a political coup, or, you know, something uh, these, so many movies and books have been written about this life-changing event. So uh, the prompt is for the writer to jot down on a piece of paper, let's say five of these events and the year in which they occurred. And also just a little bit of a synopsis, like uh, about what happened and when and where they lived and what they were doing at the time. And then to write out, so that's one step, and that's just sort of reflective and, and informal. And then the next step is to write that out in this formula. Uh, so once upon a time, there was a boy named David. That's me, at five years old, he's living in Harrison, New York. I would describe the neighborhood, right? I would describe my, my house, the little house I lived in, maybe my maybe the way I was starting to play basketball, or maybe I was reading a lot in my room. I was a nerdy little kid. I was doing a lot of reading, uh, or maybe describing my my relationship with my sister or with my brother and sister. And then one day this happened, and now my story is going to be about the shockwaves of that event or the repercussions of it. But you you will feel the change because you've gotten that once upon a time page or paragraph or six pages or whatever. So it's important that that once upon a time is really important. A lot of people go to the then one day, the plot part, but the once upon a time is, is critical. We don't really care about people or characters to whom something is happening or what they're doing unless we know them first. So even, even sadly, if we hear about maybe soldiers dying in a, in a bombing or, or an explosion in, in the Mideast, we, we hear about that and we feel this kind of twinge of sadness. But then if we know about the soldiers, if we know their names, if we know their lives, if we know about their kids, if we know what they did, suddenly we get to feel really sad. There's a famous experiment in which people show, I guess psychologists will show people the names of some people on death row, some criminals on death row, and whether they should live or die. And quite often, you know, a, a greater percentage than 50 will say, that they, yeah, they deserve to die because they committed this crime. And then they flip the card and on the back card, 
back of the card, there's a description of their lives, their names and what they do. And even that paragraph about their lives changes the people's view of whether they should live or die because they get, get to know the person just a little bit. This is the theory behind the once upon a time and the importance of the once upon a time. When you get to know a character, even just a little, where they live, what they like to do, their job, uh, their family, whatever. Then when something happens to them, even if they do something ill-advised or criminal, we're still sympathizing with them because we've gotten to know them a little bit. So we do that with ourselves. You, you, you say, once upon a time, when David was five, he lived in this thing and he did this thing a lot, blah, blah, blah. Character, setting, then one day, and then you just, your job is just to describe the event as simply as possible because later you're going to revise this into a better story. But for now, you're just going to write it out. And if you have to cry or throw up or <laughs> laugh during this, just write it out. Get at what really happened. And now you have, now you have begun a novel, a memoir, an essay, or a story. Excellent. You know, so listeners know I've taken classes with with David in the past, and I've I've heard this le- this graph lesson before, and I've and I use it myself all the time, especially when I'm writing for for the internet, when I'm writing a blog post. Hmm. You know, I I constantly just take little moments uh, in my own life or or a situation that's happened and apply this to it, and it's surefire. It it works every time. Huh. Good to know. Yeah. The other thing I was ex- when you were explaining the 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 death row example, I was thinking of a, of a much more benign one, which is, which is the Olympics. Oh yeah. If you're watching a sport that you don't really care about the Olympics, every, you know, every four years, they give you a little background on one of the, one of the people, Hey, this is who they are. This is their life. This is the training they had. And then one day they competed in the Olympics and you feel more connected to that person. Yeah. Yeah. Or one day they suffered this uh, knee injury and they had to battle back, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah, they're doing more and more of that. I've noticed every Olympics, they, they, you know, about 20 years ago, they would do one or two. And now they do it all the time because yeah. they learned that we, we really care about, uh, we care about the human beings behind the sport. Exactly. And, you know, and they're also diversifying into other countries as well. Yeah, yeah. We end up caring a lot about um, somebody from another country because they're human beings and they suffered and we want them to win. Exactly. Yeah, so that's that. That's like I said. I use this particular prompt all the time, and it's um, it really helps. I'll say one more thing about it that that that's interesting to me that I was when I was thinking about when I was talking, and, and that is, the story could be you you could you have control over your own story because you could do in the example of my sister, you could write a story about this kind of tragedy, right? That this this kid, this parents, my immigrant mother, and then boom, like that's maybe the end of the story or, or toward the end. Or you could begin with that and then, you know, the suffering or the grief and then build back up into a healthy family or, or something where, the, where our main character finds some kind of joy or some kind of meaning, either in the memory of a sister or in moving on or, you know, so to speak. Um, you you have control of your story when you frame it this way because you get to decide whether you're going to start before the event and lead up to it or start with the event and and follow up. You know what I mean? You get you get to manipulate and you get to control what seemed to be out of your control when it when it happened. So I, oh, yeah, 
For yeah, example, exactly. in the case of a divorce, you could write a long story about a marriage that ends in divorce, and that's a sad ending. That's a sad story, as as it was in in my life, let's say. Or you can begin with the divorce, and it hit takes a big hit, but then you build up, and the whole book is about sort of recovery from divorce and getting one's children back, or you know, being a real person on their own. That's another that's another kind of book. So you have that kind of choice when you have the once upon a time one day format. That's fantastic. I hope that it's helpful to people. I hope it will be too. Well, my craft lesson is less of a prompt. It's more of um, just a bit of advice. And it's uh, while you were talking, I found it really funny that you use Star Wars as an example, because I am as well. Doesn't Star Wars really tap into everything, like all the myths and all the old stories? Well, yes. I mean, it uses the very famously uses the Joseph Campbell hero myth. So, yeah. So, I mean, it consciously cribs from fairy tales yes, and, and folk Quite tales obvious. and so forth. Yeah. So the thing I'm going to talk about today is it has to do with character development. And it's something I call the solo rule, uh, named after Han Solo. Uh, so I'm going to go full nerd for a few minutes. Please. So, so strap in. Got it. In the original Star Wars film, when we're introduced to the character of Han Solo, he's sitting in the most isolated cantina where he's confronted by Greedo, a bounty hunter. Han is held at gunpoint, and the two banter for a bit, and at a critical point, Han secretly pulls his blaster from his holster under the table, mm-hmm. and he fires, killing Greedo. Essentially, Han shoots first. Now, this scene is important in many ways. It lets us, know, it lets us get to know Han, what his motivations are, but crucially, it lets us know what lengths he will go to to protect himself. And I say crucially because at the end of the film, when Han makes a sacrifice and returns to help his friend, Luke, this is a moment of growth. The selfish, self-centered rogue puts himself in danger to save another. He has a character arc. But the thing is, since its release, George Lucas, the writer and director, tinkered with his story. In the subsequent years, Star Wars became somewhat popular. (laughs) You may have heard of it. Now, the character of Han became a fan favorite. So Lucas decided to redeem him. He recut that original scene so that Greedo, not Han, shoots first, making Han's actions not one of aggression, but one of self-defense. This may seem a minor detail, but it completely changes not only Han's motivations, but the entire story. By not being the aggressor, by not acting in self-interest, Han becomes noble. He acts in the way that you would expect a hero to act. And in the end, when he makes his return, it's not unexpected. He's a hero in the beginning. He's a hero at the end. No arc. So what once was a nuanced and compelling character becomes a lot less interesting and the story becomes flat. The takeaway from all this is simply make your characters flawed. Now that, may, that might sound like common sense, but it's far too common when creating a character, and I do this myself, you fall in love with that character. And when that happens, it's instinctive to want to make them better, nicer, nobler always doing and saying the right things at the right times. And while that's admirable in many ways, it's also boring. A story is driven by characters that make mistakes, characters that fail, characters that don't live up to expectations. And the consequences of those actions and decisions are what move the plot. It's what makes the action dynamic. It's what makes the story come alive. And ultimately, it's what makes your character more appealing. The bottom line, avoid the risk of loving your characters too much. The best characters are the ones with flaws, the ones that have room to grow. And when in doubt, just remember, Han shot first. That's right. I, I remember that happening, and I remember 
being disgusted by that decision. <laughs> you are absolutely right. And this applies to, I mean, really you're, what you're saying is make your characters more authentic because, I mean, characters, people do make mistakes. Well, yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, I'm not, I'm not one, we can get into a different conversation on this, but uh, I don't really believe in, you know, relating to a character. Right. Uh, I you could empathize with a character, but not, you don't have to see yourself in that person. But right. on the opposite side of that, people do make mistakes all the time. Right. And that's what makes things more interesting. You know? I, I just watched a couple of Quentin Tarantino movies. I can't relate to anybody in these movies, yeah, but, you, but you I like them all. Like I, yeah. I really like them. Yeah, you don't have to. I mean, I don't relate to King Arthur in any way, shape, or form, but I enjoy reading his stories. Huh. By the way, isn't Luke based on King Arthur? Didn't you tell me that once? Yes, Luke is, you know, he's an obscure common boy who finds a magic sword, you know, has a wizard right. teach him things. And, and, uh, and has his uh, wife... Sister, sister. <laughs> that's that's getting creepy. Pull around with someone else, it gets very complicated. But yeah, they're yeah. a lot. And they 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 defeat the evil, and they have a have a golden age and era. And and to your point, Arthur is a flawed character. Arthur is really, I mean, he's noble and everything like that. But uh, but Lancelot's really flawed. Like Lancelot's great. Um, we like Lancelot more. He moves that story along a lot better because he is. He's really, he's a really good knight, but he's, he screws up. Like he, yeah, he has that. He has one fatal flaw, which is loving his best friend's wife. Right. And that, that really takes down the entire, the entire empire basically. And and for that matter, I mean, I I love the myths. Um, Odysseus is just a jerk. I mean, you know, the, the, the Odyssey is, I mean, he, he makes bad decisions. He gets all his men killed. Achilles (laughs) is a, in the Iliad is such a brat. Gilgamesh is just, kind of a loose cannon like we don't really know what he's gonna do so the you know the great characters of mythology are are flawed and the gods are flawed like the the gods of mythology are constantly getting into fights and taking the wrong side and and doing terrible things to the yeah Yeah, the gods are awful yes they really are but we have and we have um i I don't think this is the time for you and i to argue about captain america but (laughs) i who's the Oh, Gladiator. I, Gladiator is a wonderful movie. My only issue with Gladiator is that he doesn't do anything wrong. He's just amazing. And I'd like him to, I'd like him to do something wrong. But you're saying you were entertained. I was entertained, yes. <laughs> As I am with Captain America. But I, I'd like these that, guys to do something wrong. That's a, different, that's a different subject. I mean, those are, you know, Captain America, <laughs> Superman... You know, that sort of thing. That's a different ideal and a different uh, type of storytelling. That's, that's subverting what we typically do with characters. All right, I'll let so, it go. So, can... I mean, that's, that's a different, we, that's another episode. Okay. I'd, I'd love to talk about the myth of the perfect hero. Okay. But anyway, the point of this was, don't start with your, don't start your character as Superman. Don't, don't let them be a Mary Sue. What often ha- happens when people write memoir is they present the best version of themselves instead of the real authentic version of themselves. And it's, and it's totally understandable because you know, as, as soon as you write your memoir, you're worried about what your mother's going to think or what your ex-husband's going to think or something like that. So you, uh, and it becomes uh, sometimes a kind of finger-pointing story where you're depicting yourself in the best light and the others as people who wronged you. And so right away, your main character, you, is not authentic enough for us to uh, empathize with or to attach ourselves to. We, we, we are maybe interested 
and how wronged you are, but that gets old pretty quickly. I'd rather have people following your advice go ahead and write about the difficult thing about them or the, the mistake they made or the character quote unquote flaw they have and how that carried out in their lives. Now we're going to be much you're, we're going to be much more interested in you as a character. Yeah, absolutely. I I can give you an example of the the recent film Bohemian Rhapsody biopic of Freddie Mercury. Mm-hmm. The other members, if you've seen that film, the other members of Queen who all had a hand in writing this movie mm-hmm. are all family men who do nothing wrong and they go home early and they don't party. Yeah. And you know that is such garbage. It's the right. 1970s. You were, you were doing a lot. We yeah. know you were doing a lot. But they, but they presented themselves as perfect people. Uh, they're trying to, and they're trying to contrast what was going on with Freddie. Exactly. Yeah, they're foils, which it, it comes across as inauthentic. Exactly. I, I, you know, I know a lot of people like that movie. I personally do not for yeah. those re- for that kind of reason. Yeah. Exactly. You, you can see what they're trying to do, and that is to uh, have Freddie be the main character and our, all our interest is in him, but it ends up feeling slightly inauthentic or, or a lot inauthentic. The, the issue with presenting any character as perfect is that, what, what, and this brings back to what you were talking about, is that they they don't get the chance at redemption. Like you don't, if you're presenting people as perfect, then there's no room for them to grow and develop in their, in their, in your book. And therefore they're not that interesting uh, as potential characters for us to latch onto. Exactly. There's no drama. There's no, right. um, there's no room. There's nowhere to go. And it's, it, there's no point to, to the proceedings. Right. You know, so that's it. I think. Sure. Two good writing prompts, two good, uh, things for writers to think about when they are working on their own stuff. I'm yeah. happy with that. Uh, so anyone listening, I would love to, if, if you're using these prompts, if you uh, want to incorporate that into your own writing life, we'd love to hear what you think. And uh, if you have any advice or helpful hints of your own to share with us, contact us. You can do so by email, comments at wordafterwordpodcast.com or on our brand new Twitter account at wordafterpod. So we're, we're both monitoring that. So that would be a great way to, to, to start a conversation. You know what would be fun if, is if anybody listening would uh, write down their story in that formula we talked about at the beginning, using themselves as the character. You know, once upon a time, there was a young woman named Rebecca who lived in this, and then one day blank. It's like three sentences. By the way, if you want a formula for this once upon a time, then one day structure, first paragraph is the character. Who are they? What do they do? Second paragraph is setting. Third paragraph is then one day. Oh, I remember where I got this formula. I read a story by David Bismanges, a wonderful writer, called Natasha. And it it starts off with this kid in the basement doing teenage kid things in the basement. And the setting was in a suburb. I think it was Toronto or somewhere like that. And then one day, his uncle brought home a Russian, I think a mail order bride or something like that. And this woman was kind of sexual and, and really upset the family. And that woman's daughter, who's Natasha, is our main character's age. And Natasha is a bad girl. She has sex a lot and does drugs. And our suburban male narrator, his life is now changed forever because Natasha came into his basement. And the hijinks that follow <laughs> are in part ridiculous, in part fascinating, and in part tragic. So... Uh, that's that's I remember reading that story and thinking oh he's using this formula like this is this is like standard storytelling and so that's where I got it excellent but we also now have a another recommendation I can throw on our Mm -hmm. 
book recommendation list. Mm -hmm. It's going to be on the website very, very soon. Speaking of the website, you can visit that wordafterwordpodcast.com where you can leave comments on individual episodes. And again, we'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear what you think about the show and just in general, if you have any, like I said, any tips or helpful advice of your own to share with us or just share some of your writing, that'd be great too. What if the comments are mean? Can we delete them? No, but we need to learn from that because <laughs> no, you, well, you could be commenters are flawed sometimes and that's okay. I don't mind constructive criticism. I just don't want meanness. No, okay. we, we don't allow meanness, but right, there you go. Okay. Do you have anything else to add, David? No, thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening. And I guess until next time, just keep writing. Yeah. really important oh i got blooper material <laughs> word after word a podcast on writing is a daddy elk production